It is the question that has been widely debated for centuries. It is the question that has caused all kinds of divisions and separations. It is the question that we need to make sure we have the right answer to. That question being, how are we saved? And while there are any number of ideas and teachings that have come up over the years, really when you boil all of the teachings and ideas down to the essence of what they say, really every single one of them falls into one of two categories. Either salvation is dependent on the works that a person does, and therefore is something that is earned, or salvation is entirely dependent on the work of God, and therefore is something that is received freely as a gift. Out of these two categories, we need to make sure we know which one is correct. And leading up to our verses for today, Paul himself gives a beautiful answer to the question, where he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul himself clearly states that salvation is a free gift that comes to sinners through the work of Christ. But you see, Paul, in making this claim, had to make sure that he backed it up with some evidence. Because the religious leaders back at that time were teaching the exact opposite thing. They were saying that one had to do works in order to earn their way to heaven. And so in our verses for today, backing his claim up is exactly what he does. And Paul does that by looking at Abraham's life the father of the Israelite nation, as the prime example for someone who is justified by grace through faith. But understand that this was a bold approach for Paul to take, because the religious leaders, in fact, looked to Abraham as the prime example for someone who is justified by their works. So if Paul is able to back up his claim that Abraham was justified by grace through faith, Well, then it follows that this must be true for everyone. Paul begins, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered according to the flesh? If indeed Abraham had been justified by works, he would have had a reason to boast, but not before God. And right away, Paul leaves the question open for the sake of the argument. Really, if anyone had reason to boast in their works before God, it was Abraham. When God called him to get up and to leave his homeland, he did so immediately, as we heard in our first reading for today. And when God called him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, he was willing to do so. But even with this, Even Abraham couldn't boast in his works before God because even he had fallen short at times in his life. And since Abraham missed the standard of perfection which God calls his believers to live by, 
Well, Abraham couldn't boast in his works before God. And if Abraham can't boast in his works before God, then nobody can. But Paul didn't want his audience to simply take him at his word for it. He really wanted his audience to take God at his word. And so Paul continues, what does Scripture say? I mean, it's as if Paul were saying here, does Scripture actually say that Abraham was justified by works? No. In fact, Scripture says the opposite. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul cites Genesis 15, 6, a passage which, once again, the religious leaders used to show and try to prove that Abraham was justified by works. And Paul uses it to prove the opposite. And Paul really shows how they misinterpreted the passage. While they were focused on Abraham's faithfulness in the situation, the passage is really focused on faith. And the point Paul is is making is this, that rather than the action going from Abraham's works toward God, righteousness is actually something which is given to Abraham because God credits or counts something as belonging to Abraham. And a way to think about this word credit, which is an accounting term, is that God took the debt of Abraham's sin Transfer them to the debt of Christ, the one who died on the cross, to forgive the world all of their sins. And God then transferred the righteousness of Christ, the one who lived perfectly in the place of sinners, to Abraham. And to be as clear as possible that Abraham truly was justified by grace through faith, Abraham now gives his audience an example from the secular world to really drive this point home. Now, to a person who works, his pay is not counted as a gift, but as something owed. So in the secular world, when someone has a job and they they put in their hours, they will receive the agreed-upon wage. And nobody would consider this wage to be a gift. Their wage is something that is And while this is how the secular world works, Paul really shows how God's kingdom works in a far different way. But to the person who does not work, but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. And with this, Paul shows that it's through faith that a sinner is justified. And since Paul contrasts works and faith, it's clear that whatever faith is, it cannot be a work that somebody does. Faith is not turning one's life over to God. A faith is not opening up one's heart and submitting to God's will. No, Paul mentions later in his letter to the Romans that faith comes from hearing the message. And so even faith is a gift that God freely gives to sinners. That as they're connected to the word and hear about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, there the Holy Spirit will be working to create and strengthen faith in the hearts of those who hear this message. And did you notice who Paul mentioned in our verses for today are those who God declares as being righteous? Righteous. 
the ungodly, those who are opposed to God and want nothing to do with him. And since these are the ones that God declares righteous, well, it's clear that righteousness is not something that can be earned by the ungodly because the ungodly can do nothing to earn God's grace, mercy, and favor through the things that they do. And so in these first couple of verses, Paul makes it as clear as he possibly can that sinners are justified freely as a gift through faith. And this has nothing to do with the works that a person does. And as we pick up Paul's argument in verse 13, he really moves on to pick up Abraham's life once again. And he shows how Abraham received the promise that all nations would be blessed through him, not because of his observance to the law, but because of faith. Indeed, the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not given to Abraham or his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness that is by faith. So the Abrahamic promise which said that all nations would be blessed through him because the promised Savior would eventually one day come through his line wasn't received through the law, but was received through faith. Now Paul is not diminishing Abraham's faithfulness to God. But really what he's doing is he's just making it as clear as he can that when talking about why someone is saved or why someone receives the promise that was given to Abraham, one's works are completely excluded from the discussion. And as Paul continues, he really brings up the fact that it is either the law way or it is the faith way. And for the sake of discussion, he once again opens up the argument to the idea what if it is the works way? What if it is the law way? To be sure, if people are heirs by the law, faith is empty and the promise is nullified. For the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. If people were heirs of the promise through the law, then that would mean that faith is completely worthless. And so we know that it can't be the law way. And more than that, as Paul mentioned, the law is what brings wrath. Not because there's anything wrong with the law itself, but because those who are ungodly will fall into sins time and time again throughout their lives. And the law will even hold people more accountable than if they didn't have it at all. Because when they do break God's law, well, they're breaking it with the full knowledge that what they're doing is wrong. So if the promise can't be received through the law, then it must be received through faith. For this reason, the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's descendants, not only to the one who is a descendant by law, but also to the one who has the faith of Abraham. And he is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. So here we see Paul give two reasons why the promise must be received through faith. And the first reason is because this is so that it is in accordance with grace, which is God's undeserved love. That if someone had to do something to earn the promise, well then that would by no means be by grace. And the second reason 
is so that the promise can be guaranteed to all of Abraham's descendants. And being a descendant of Abraham isn't talking about physical descent. Being a descendant of Abraham is talking about being of the same faith as Abraham. His faith, which was founded on the God who is the Lord of life and death, the God who was the creator of all things, and the God who promised to send his one and only son through the line of Abraham, who would redeem the world of its sins. That this is what Abraham's faith was founded on, and this is what our faith is founded on, too. And so all the religious leaders back at that time may have been looking to Abraham's life as the prime example for one who is justified by works. Paul was able to back up his claim and show that Abraham is actually the prime example for one who is justified by grace through faith. And with this, Paul shows that our salvation has nothing to do with works that originate in of ourselves. Rather, our salvation has everything to do with faith being created and strengthened in our hearts, which is something that God freely gives us through the working of the Holy Spirit as he comes to us through the means of grace. And this truth, which Paul beautifully explains in our verses for today, is a truth which is really found all throughout God's word. Old Testament, New Testament, that everything in God's word is really focused on this foundational truth. And since this is such a foundational truth, it, it might seem foolish for anyone to even try and to teach anything that goes contrary to this message. But it's important for us to remember that this is how we naturally think. You see, the sinful natures we're born with not only make us guilty of conception, make us guilty of sins at the moment of conception, and lead us to fall into all kinds of sins throughout our lives, our sinful natures also lead us to have this idea that we're, we're basically good. And this idea of basic goodness leads us to believe that we can somehow earn God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness through the things that we do in this life. And maybe you're thinking, I'm a good Wells Lutheran and would never fall into sinful thinking like this. But because this is how we naturally think, these thoughts can arise in our lives in very subtle ways. So it's important for us to really identify when these thoughts come into our minds so we can repent of these sins. So let's ask ourselves some questions and see if we've fallen into the sin and repent of it. Have you ever felt that God was happier with your life than somebody else's because you knew of some sins that they had fallen into? Do you sometimes feel as though you're more righteous than maybe those groups that are in our world today that are openly falling into sins and openly defending the sins that they fall into? When you do a good work, are you sometimes puffed up with pride, thinking that God looks down on you as the prime example of how he wants his believers to live here in this life? And while those are just a, a few questions, there are so many more that we could go through. 
And really we see that this idea of basic goodness can so easily come up in our lives and can so easily lead us astray. And really what all these ideas and thoughts say to God is that Christ's death on the cross wasn't good enough. That I need to add something. That I need to live better than these people or than that person and then you'll see me as righteous in your sight. That's really what these thoughts and ideas God. And ignore the fact that there's not one person who is righteous. We can masquerade around this truth all at once and try to deceive ourselves and others into thinking that our works are what make us righteous. But really, when we get down to it, there is no denying that we are very real sinners. But the sooner we realize this, the sooner we can see that God sent his one and only son to be a very real savior who came to die on the cross for the very real sins that we fall into in our lives. As we heard in our verses for today, Christ came to redeem the ungodly. And since these are the ones that Christ came to redeem, let's not hide the fact that this is who we truly are. And with this knowledge, we can then simply stand in the awe of God's love and seeing that even though while we were still sinners here in this life, he sent his son to die on the cross to forgive us all of our sins. And because God did this in his grace, we can know that Paul's words are true for each and every one of us here today. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen.